Hey, I'm Maria. I work at a labor union by day and write and watch too much TV by night. I like to say I've been firmly in the CW's clutches since it was a WB. As the great Seth Cohen on the OC once said about the fictional teen drama, The Valley, TV teen dramas are mind-numbing escapism. They exist in a fantasy world where 20-something hot actors are usually cosplaying high schoolers in melodramatic depictions of adolescents. But that's honestly why I love teen dramas so much. I love the tropes and the ships and the not-at-all-subtle product placement. I love the early aughts theme songs and the cameo performances by pop-punk bands. I love the newer generation of shows that are more diverse and representative of the vastness of teenage girldom. And I especially love the moments when TV teen dramas get political. You guys, we can organize, stand together, speak with one voice. Karl Marx has come alive for me today. Now it just seems so obviously wrong that those who control capital should make their fortunes off the labor of the working class. Well, since you've fired us, you've given us plenty of time to kick in. Workers of the world unite for all the Welcome to another episode of Lust of Teen Drama, and specifically the season two finale. Woo! Yay! <laughs> oh, I am joined once again by my friends Kelly and Nikki to close out season two. Hey there. Hi. Before we get started, I guess I just wanted to say thank you to all of my small but mighty listeners who tuned in every week and or who might be listening to this later after we've already concluded the season and have made it to the end. Thanks for listening and thanks for being patient because I'm going into another hiatus after this. I really am going to keep working on the podcast, but I cannot promise you when we're going to return yet because I have to plan a fucking wedding. So... <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah, but time. <laughs> but yeah, it's definitely coming though, and I have we have lots of ideas in the LTD family sitting in a document that will definitely move and become episodes. Just when I'm ready to like release another full season, it's like very very TBD. So just being transparent about that. And so I'm joined by Kelly and Nikki today. I feel like. This is a good topic to have y'all on for because like we know each other because of like union and worker organizing things. And this is all about the class war, this episode. <laughs> and like oh, really, yeah. really the class war, like getting violent, the class war. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Okay, I feel like in my last finale, I also said this, but I feel like I always think of like really like convoluted ideas for my finale episode. So <laughs> this is probably going to be like one of the more convoluted ones of the season, but what are you going to do? I have had this idea for a really long time. Like I think I originally was thinking about putting this in the first season of the podcast and then I needed it to marinate for a little longer. But basically, we're going to talk about I, I'm calling this wet hot American class conflict. And we're really going to be talking about the phenomenon of there being deep class divides in coastal towns in the US. And I'm sure in other parts of, you know, the world, but we're just going to talk about the US today. 
<laughs> and so we're going to talk about that that very real class war as it's very central to both the setting and the plot of the OC, Veronica Mars, and more recently, Outer Banks. So I thought to start, we could just talk about our relationships to these shows. So like the OC aired from 2003 to 2007 aka our childhood and i discussed this already at length with emma and Haley on our other oc episode this season so i'm like the people have heard that for me it's an og childhood show but what what is y'all's relationship with the oc (laughs) i remember being like a little too young when it came out (laughs) but really wanting to watch it and it making my mom kind of annoyed but i remember having a huge crush on adam brody yeah and and wanting to be Misha Barton. And I like vividly remembered when they, spoiler alert, killed her character off and just like yeah. how jarring and upsetting it was. <laughs> but yeah, a 10 out of 10, great show. Yeah, it, as far as teen dramas go, very, very, very good. Yeah, out of the three, I know the OC best. I will say I haven't seen all of it. That's just how it is. I've seen parts. So, you know, forgive, okay. forgive. But it was definitely a part of my life. And and weirdly enough, I feel like I've followed a lot of like what's happened to Misha Barton. I just find it fascinating. And like her sort of getting churned through the industry and, you know, and where she's at now. I'm just very happy that she seems a lot happier and healthier than she was during all of this yeah not to make it sad but so dark yeah when when all when her like articles came out about like what her young adult years were like yeah that was really sad everybody check it out if you haven't she was like yeah. the girl of 2005 absolutely i think we talked about how she's one of the like maligned women of the early 2000s on the last oc podcast like mm-hmm. for real but yeah so that's the oc and then so veronica mars aired in a very similar time well originally 2004 to 2007 but then it came back for a season so technically 2004 to 2019 <laughs> but i didn't watch it while it was airing i don't know it just never ended up on my radar for whatever reason. But Haley, actually, who has been on this podcast before, always wanted me to watch it because it was one of her favorite like teen dramas of her youth that I had never seen. And I finally watched it a few years back. And I do think it's really fun. Very like the mystery of the week is very fun. And, you know, love a blonde private investigator, you know, like the Betty Cooper of of today. (laughs) And I have not watched the finale because Haley told me not to. Mm, yeah the finale of the of the new season that came out not the like og seasons there's also a movie that is like chronologically between the end of the third season and the beginning of the fourth season which i watched at Haley's apartment because she like owns it <laughs> shouts out to Haley. <laughs> Haley loves veronica mars yeah that's um, a deep commitment yeah I started watching it on a train because I was bored and I was like, ugh, this is going to be good. And then I was spellbound and sucked in for life. I don't know. I just love that Veronica's a little badass. And the fashion in that show is amazing, in my opinion. I always noticed Veronica's outfits and I was like, okay, that's a look. But yeah, I do really like that show. I like the girl power of it. 
I'm like you, Maria. I didn't watch it until much later, and I also haven't seen any of the new season, so I won't. I won't even see the finale or the beginning or any of it. <laughs> yeah, no. People are not happy with how they chose to end it. I'll just say that. Yeah, I feel like it's really hard when you do that after a long period of time. You know, it's just CC Arrested Development. Yeah. R.I.P. <laughs> yeah. Totally. Yeah. No, some things just need to be left in the time and the place where they were created. You know, like I've heard like some of the actors on the OC because I listened to the podcast that a couple of the cast do. Like Adam Brody was like, we should absolutely not bring that back. Like, and I'm like, no, you shouldn't. You're right, Adam Brody. Like if it, it, it belongs in the time and the place when it happened and we don't need to reboot it. <laughs> Good for him for not going for the cash grab and being like, let this thing die. I think that's that's very rare. Yeah, true. yeah, true. true. And then so finally, it brings us to Outer Banks, which started airing in 2020, a little pandemic baby of a show that is still airing today. They're currently, as of the time of this recording, filming season three. So I started watching this in the pandemic shortly after it came out on Netflix. And, you know, I was like, it's a new teen drama that's on my homepage. Like, here we go. You know, and I'm like... <laughs> And they got me with the found family of it all, honestly. Love that. And, you know, the cliffhangers are, you know, they designed to do what they do. <laughs> Did you hear if you end up watching any of it beyond the pilots? I know I only told you to watch the pilots if, if you didn't have the time to do it more. Oh, yeah, I kept going. <laughs> I'm not very far, but I love the like townies versus tourists of it. And like the the pogues and the kooks. Yes. <laughs> the the names are so specific though. Like, oh my God. <laughs> it reminds me of like when we were like teens and we would call people prep. Yes. Like that ugh, was such a thing. That was yeah. such a thing. I feel like putting people into like traditional stereotypes was just like such a thing it was. <laughs> in our time. Like it was. a prep, a nerd, a jock. Like Yeah. And I like desperately wanted to know like what's my category. Um <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I love the show. They're very shirtless on that show, which is a plus. Oh so shirtless. Yeah. And the scenery is so pretty. I just read like a book about the marshes in South Carolina called Where the Crawdads Sing. It's going to be a movie. So I was like, I want to read the book before the movie comes out. And yeah, I'm like on a weird marsh tip. So <laughs> yeah. that was great. <laughs> Yeah, I love it. Amazing. Yeah, no, I mean, that transitions, like, perfectly into the theme of this episode, you know, which is basically just that, the Pogues versus the Kooks, like, that, like, not limited to the show, there is a phenomenon of beach towns becoming, like, these hubs of class conflict because you have the tourists, and then you also have very wealthy folks who, like, own expensive beach houses, and they're rubbing up right up against the working class townies, right, who wait on them and serve them in every way, shape, or form. And this is definitely, like, these three teen dramas are only three of the many that touch on this. Like, I feel like in Dawson's Creek, they touch on this for sure with, like, Joey's family and them having, like, a B&B. &B. But I just felt like these three shows all just, like, when I was watching them and thinking about this podcast, like, jumped out at me as, like, a class conflict and the class war being, like, a consistent thing throughout the show and being kind of inherent to the setting of all three of the shows. And so I was like, I just feel like we need to talk about this. And like, not just that, but the fact that like both Veronica Mars and the OC are actually technically set in Orange County, which is an area known for its affluence. And I feel like recently, like just like that shit Republicans, right? Like I, I feel like there have been some of those like scary 
parents yelling at people videos yeah. coming out of there. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I think you're right on that. Yeah. But I feel like there's a second side to the affluence and both shows show that in different ways. And something that I learned as I was getting ready for this podcast is that apparently Neptune isn't a real place at all. It was like, I know, but it was based on Orange County. Like Rob Thomas, the creator, said that it would be located near San Juan Capistrano, which is located in Orange County. And it was filmed in San Diego. And Rob Thomas, the singer-songwriter extraordinaire from our childhood? I think it's a different person. So there okay. were a lot of Rob Thomases making content in the it's early just 2000s. Just making sure. <laughs> Not of Matchbox 20. I've seen him in concert. Can I say that? I, I saw him in concert. <laughs> Wild. Amazing. This really is a blast from the past today. Damn. <laughs> So that's like, you know, fun that they're both in Orange County. There are a couple parallels, like Chino being where the prison is, is canon in both shows. I know, kind of a sad one, but <laughs> in the OC, Ryan's brother Trey is locked up there. And then the second season of Veronica Mars, Veronica alludes to her dad when he used to be like the sheriff, having put a bunch of the Fitzpatrick crime family in Chino prison. There's also the fact that Tijuana as a rite of passage is a thing in both shows, like Logan and a couple of the other dudes like need Veronica to bail them out when they're on their way back from Tijuana and then like obviously in the OC Tijuana is like an infamous Marissa passing out and almost dying and the first of the times that like they have the like Ryan with Marissa in his arms yeah that happens also when she dies I know. Well, that's the one thing that that the OC does well is those visual moments. Like they do, and they do good visual parallels. But yeah, and then another couple parallels I wanted to mention off the bat are that there was a moment in the second season of Outer Banks where Pope was using a, what he called a vintage telephoto lens, and I was like, "This is Veronica Mars." Like he like literally just looked like Veronica Mars. And then in the third season of the OC, they actually name drop Veronica Mars. Marissa being yeah bitchy and defensive to Summer about the fact that she's dating Volchuk in season three. And she's like, aren't you a regular Veronica Mars? Way to solve this week's mystery. Rude. <laughs> Rude, but also yeah. thank you. Yeah. So it is, it is funny how like Veronica Mars, the show apparently exists in the OC, but also they are set in the same place. It's, it's you know, there's, there's a lot happening there. <laughs> But yeah, so to start, I thought that we would basically watch some things from the pilot of each show that introduce the setting and the constant class conflict that's inherent to each setting. So we're going to start with Veronica Mars. I love that both Veronica Mars and Outer Banks have very heavy-handed introductions to <laughs> the situation because I just love that, like the whole class war is like just baked into the essence of the show you know this is my school if you go here your parents are either millionaires or your parents work for millionaires neptune california a town without a middle class if you're in the second group you get a job fast food movie theaters mini marts or you could be me my after-school job means tailing philandering spouses or investigating false injury things. Who'd that guy rat out? The bikers. Why doesn't somebody cut him down? Yeah, I'll do it. I want to be the guy up there tomorrow. <laughs> Say cheese. Smile. Who died and made you the queen? Oh, freak. You're new here, huh? Welcome to Neptune High. 
still pirates. <laughs> kind of continues her monologue, if you will. I used to sit there at that table. It's not like my family met the minimum net worth requirement. My dad didn't own his own airline like John Enbaum's or serve as ambassador to Belgium like Shelley Pomroy's. But my dad used to be the sheriff and that had a certain cachet. Let's be honest though. The only reason I was allowed past the velvet ropes was Duncan Kane, son of software billionaire Jake Kane. He used to be my boyfriend. And one day, with no warning, he ended things. And let's not forget Logan Eccles. His dad makes 20 million a picture. You probably own his action figure. Every school has an obligatory psychotic jackass. He's ours. Yeah, the fact that they make Logan go from obligatory psychotic, you know, jackass in the first episode to you, like, caring about him and his romance of Veronica is wild. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I think, well, I mean, one of my favorite things is despite it's being very heavy handed and kind of simple, I just think like it sums it up so well when she says, if you go here, your parents are either millionaires or your parents work for millionaires. That's like wild. Like I went to a school where like there was definitely like some people who had more money, like people called one part of town Maple Good and one part Maple Hood, like, you know, but like it, the class difference wasn't that insane. Like We didn't have like fucking like millionaires and people who like we're out here like owning airlines and shit, you know? I just can't imagine there being like that huge of a disparity rubbing up against each other like every day. Yeah, I didn't experience that kind of divide until college. Oh yeah. And it was like <laughs> a culture shock. Like, I don't know, it was, it was a much bigger deal than I thought it would have been when I was younger. And that line, like your parents either work for millionaires or are millionaires. I mean, it's flipped. I know I said it wrong, but um, we get it. We get it. <laughs> like that's like the opening line of a really good book. Like it's just like a perfect line. And it's like the first thing really that is said in the show, which is a big deal. Oh my God. Kristen Bell is so cute in that show. Oh my God. Also the fact that her dad is a cop and therefore is friends with all the rich people is like maybe I mean like I'm reaching but it's like maybe a commentary about how the police only exist to enforce the race class order in this country <laughs> true though yeah <laughs> we'll take the reach we'll take the reach yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> actually for me I did grow up in a town like this where there was people you know it's Connecticut. And I always say that Connecticut is capitalism. It's just the clearest form of the haves and the have nots. And so in my town, there were people who still could afford a small, decent house there, right? And go to the high school. And then there were people that owned something maybe 20 times the size of that house. And that was not uncommon. I ended up selling knives for Cutco. I don't know. If I, I almost did that too. Yeah, well, I did it. I actually still have some really great friends for it, which is funny. But I did that right after graduating. I did it the summer before college. And what do they make you do? They make you call through your phone book, right? So I'm actually calling and trying to get appointments with like the families of my old high school <laughs> classmates. So I'm seeing the houses of all these people who I'd never, you know, seen before because I wasn't in their crowd. Wow. The, some of the biggest homes I've ever been in, in my entire life. One woman, we had these ridiculous sets of knives, you know, the whole thing is like 
a thousand dollars she's like oh yeah i'll get that <gasps> it's just like you, you know what i mean they don't think they don't think about dropping that on like fucking knives they're like yeah that's fine wow so they exist and they're in connecticut <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Coastal yeah. Towns and connecticut yeah no they're definitely in a lot of places that's that's definitely real they so they would buy the knives. Oh, I mean, it was nice for me when I went to originals. <laughs> yeah, no, I think you're in the best. But I like, got, I, I got thirty percent commission off of that. That's three hundred dollars oh, in like yes. 20, 30 minutes. You know, so that's fine. But I wanted to do cook up, but my dad was like, he took me to the the quote unquote interview or whatever that they do, and he was like, Kelly, this is an MLM. I mean, we didn't call it an MLM. He said it's a pyramid scheme, and I was like seventeen, so I was like, can you explain that again? And like, oh, yes, so did- no one in my family told me it was an MLM or a pyramid. Oh and I began selling knives. The one thing I will say that makes it a little better than a pyramid scheme is that you're not purchasing anything. You're selling their product. Oh, I thought you had to buy the knives. So it's like, shit, I, I'm pretty sure you probably used to. And then they, <laughs> yeah, maybe they can't. I, don't know, I didn't have they to buy recruit teenagers so aggressively. Like, I got, oh, they're not a good pump. I'm not saying they're good. Yeah. <laughs> But shout out to Natalie and Raina. Love you both. So happy I met you through that wild experience. (laughs) Amazing. I think another thing that was interesting about that introduction is that like it's so flimsy for her like being able to be in the crowd like you were saying like not being in the rich person crowds not having seen the rich person house like she did see the rich people houses for like a time because she was like by association allowed to like be in those circles but like when you don't actually have the the capital to back it up because all of those people were like owning glass like they listed one by one there like then suddenly it's like why are you around like <laughs> You, if you're not, if you're not Duncan's girlfriend, then there we don't have any any use for you. She's just back to being. I, I mean, when we meet her, she really is like a loner, and thankfully, she finds a friend in Wallace who she cut down from the pole. <laughs> But yeah, so that's like the introduction to Neptune, California. In the next episode, Wallace like shows her this pink highlighted flyer because there used to be like flyers for parties. And <laughs> so he's like, we should go to this. And she's like, you want to crash an 09er party? And he's like, maybe. I don't know what that is. And so that's when we are introduced to the concept of 09ers, which is someone who lives in the prestigious 90909 zip code. And apparently you can't even tell who's throwing it because the flyer is all in code very early 2000s and there's also a whole situation in that second episode where weevil and his crew show up at dog beach which is apparently their territory and ask why the rich kids are partying in their backyard when they have plenty of other places they could party which seems very fair and then logan says that weevil spent grandma works in his house like it's like very like dirty and everyone's lives are very intertwined you know Yeah, later in the season, a good one-liner from Veronica, she said, like, Christmas and Neptune is always about the trappings, the tinsel they use to cover up the corruption. (laughs) I feel like there's a lot of allusions throughout the show to the fact that the, like, the rich people run the town, even though they are not the majority. Like, they make it very clear that they are the minority, but they're still, like, the people in power because of their wealth, which I think is, like, a decent commentary on society. And there's also a thing that continues throughout season one and season two 
two when Veronica's still in high school because she's in college in the third season where she is in the top five of her class. Which, like, I don't know how she has time for that if all is investigating, honestly. But she has to go like schmooze because the Canes give out a scholarship in her slaughtered best friend Lily's name every year. And like there's one point in season two where she says the rich get richer and the rest of us hope for scholarships. Some good lines. My <laughs> God, the writers knew what they were doing. <laughs> yeah, really twisting the knife with the scholarship one. Oh my God. I have so much student debt and I'm going to have so much more in the future. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. Let's hope that Biden's just going to cancel 10K, isn't he? Anyway. (laughs) Yeah. I'm deferring my loans for the revolution and I think everybody else should too. Just don't pay them. I mean, no, that's horrible advice. Do what you want with your money. If you want to do that, go look up the debt collective and actually go on strike in a coordinated way. Just for everyone listening, this is um, a teen um, drama show um, (laughs) discussing (laughs) discussing, you know, its relation to uh, leftist politics and uh, fighting Mm -hmm. capitalism. Just just as a reiteration. It is not a financial advice podcast. Don't listen to anything I say. I don't know finances exactly. We'll just casually put the debt collective's information in the show notes. If you want to go there, you that's your choice. (laughs) Um, But I do think that it's like, it's like, the fact that they have it be this long thing where Veronica is like competing for the scholarship over like episodes and seasons, it really like paints a picture of how it's like hanging over her when it comes to her education. Meanwhile, there are other kids who can just, you know, go wherever the hell they want and they don't have to even think about it or think twice about it. So does anyone have any more thoughts about that for now? And we'll go back to Veronica Mars later, but like with us, that's our introduction to Veronica Mars universe. I'll just say as a random ass side note, the boyfriend, right? He thinks he's Shane West, but he's not Shane West, okay? That ex-boyfriend ain't got nothing on a time to remember. Duncan? Duncan, yeah. Walk to remember, oh my God. Not even close, can't even touch him. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not a big fan of Duncan. He's just very bland, I feel. Kind of a nothing person. And like you already have Logan who's like, who's like also a rich kid, but he's like somehow sexier than than Duncan, you know? Like Duncan's just kind of like boring, like normie dude. I don't know. <laughs> I'm here for the Logan and Veronica ship. So. Really? Do they have a couple name? Like it's like Logan? Lovie, like L-O-V-E. Because it's like from the time before cool. before the kind of ship names we do now. Yeah. Oh my god, yeah. <laughs> So yeah, we're going to move on to Outer Banks, which also has a very heavy-handed opening that explains the setting and the class divide. The Outer Banks, paradise on Earth. It's the sort of place where you either have two jobs or two houses, two tribes, one island. All right, so this is figure eight, the rich side of the island, home of the kooks. So guess where we don't live? And then this is the South Side, or the Cut, home of the working class who make a living bussing tables, washing yachts, running charters, natural habitat of, drumroll please, the Pogues, that's us. Pogues, pogies, the throwaway fish, lowest member of the food chain. Okay, so the downside of Pogue life is we're ignored and neglected, but the upside of Pogue life, we're ignored and neglected, which means we do whatever we want, whenever we want. Nice small, dude. Nice for that. 
been all fake for like three weeks. <laughs> Gross. That's JJ, my best friend since the third grade. He's about as local as they come. Latest in a long line of fishing, drinking, smuggling, vendetta-holding salt lifers who made their living off the water. Best surfer I know. Just don't tell him I said that. Mild kleptomaniac and a future tax cheat. Is this guy in prison yet? How would that not happen? Get off me. Don't even get me started on microplastic. Have you even heard about that island, that little island of just... And that's Kiara, or Key as we call her. And when she's not saving turtles or listening to Marley or getting a dolphin tattoo, she hangs out with us. I'm not really sure why though so she's a rich kid actually foot in both worlds her family owns a wreck which is this outer banks institution total cash cow with the tourists you know i'm not really sure how her parents feel about us i guess we all sort of have a thing for her <laughs> and that's pope the brains of the operation finalist for the lucas t vanderhorst merit scholarship and the smartest person i know Stop touching that. I want to be a coroner. A little bit of a weirdo. <laughs> All right, so his father's this legendary character, Hayward. Anything he wanted on the island, Hayward could get it for Yeah, appreciate it. Now, I'm not sure Hayward knew what to make of his oddball son. It didn't matter. He was a pope, just like the rest of us. <laughs> so, that's my crew. Oh yeah, that's the introduction to Outer Banks and the Pogues, which is both the name that they refer to the core group of the show and the entirety of the working class at the same time. That's how you do it. Yeah. One thing, one thing that I didn't even realize was in common until we just actually watched them side by side is, is this, um, obviously it doesn't come up in the actual scene, but the fact that like Pope is also from the get-go in the running for a scholarship and that being like the way that the smartest kid in their group of friends is going to get to go to college is being in in the running for the scholarship they have that in common and their first line is really similar yeah right yeah I yeah, saw right. <laughs> I that, yeah i jaw dropped i was like oh it's the same but, oh my god my only like issue when I was watching Outer Banks is like apparently these people are poor but they have like a really cool bus and like a pretty nice little cottage on the beach oh yeah that, it's like, giving like yeah it is giving glamping and it reminds me of friends where like they have that amazing apartment but they're all struggling young people i'm like they don't yeah i mean oh, they went for aesthetic over over uh, whatever else you know reality aesthetic yeah. over reality <laughs> but i mean considering how beautiful the the nice house is on figure eight were obviously that does make the fishing shack that's how john b describes his his house definitely seem like you know a shack in comparison to these like huge mansions that they pass that have a corresponding boat in the in the harbor that belongs to them and like the rich family at the center of the show the camerons like definitely have like an insanely nice boat where john b is almost murdered i could write a very long essay maybe we'll talk about it when we get to the star cross romance part of all this but like veronica and archie on riverdale and john b and sarah on outer banks are like the same couple like dads trying to kill their girlfriend's boyfriend <laughs> you know you know when that happens when that whole thing happens 
and tra- falsely accusing them of murders they didn't commit. Same exact lovers thing. thing is like a thing everywhere. Like every <laughs> like good movie or like telenovela or like any like literally anything all over the world will have a relationship between like a rich person and a poor person and how they they love each other against all odds because like in our lizard brain we love it we um, do we yeah do. i love it i loved yeah i loved betty and joyhead bughead oh my god yeah and i love outer banks oh my god that the character wow and i'm speaking on her name but what what's her name again I just love her social justice warrior. Oh, mentality. Kiara. You mean Kiara? Kiara. Yeah. The social justice warrior in her is like so strong. She's upset about microplastic. Yeah. Yeah. She's getting a dolphin tattoo. I don't know. She's a girl after my own heart, despite the complicated. So I, I do really like her a lot. <laughs> yes. Yeah. No. And that is really cool that they introduce Kiara's situation. Before you're told that she's a rich kid, you would never have thought that she was, you know, because she's hanging out with, you know, the boys. But that definitely, as we're going to discuss, her, like, weird dual identity definitely plays a role in different parts of the story. And it's not always smooth sailing, you know. So... What happens in the first episode that continues to set the scene of the Outer Banks world we're now in is that there's a hurricane coming. And so the hurricane alarms are going off. And John B., by the way, is in the middle of basically DCS trying to, like, come and and deem that he is by himself because his uncle who's supposed to be with him is like fucked off to another state to work and it really reminds me of like the ryan again ryan atwood and the oc and you know not having a suitable home to live in and the system needing to get involved like definitely has that in common and so the hurricane kind of like helps john b so he like his dcs visit can't happen because they can't get on the island because of the hurricane and so then the next morning there's a scene that i really love where they all all go out on the boat to fish and all the neighbors in like the cut are checking in with each other on how they like fared in the hurricane and they're all just like oh we're gonna be cleaning this all summer and then you see the other side of town where you like meet the Camerons and like Sarah and they have generators they have like power there's like staff cleaning up like the yard for them and I don't even remember where this is from but at some point in the first episode they already say they always win don't they kooks versus pogues they always win and at one point when JJ's obviously Obviously, we're gonna like not talk about it, the the gold a ton, but like obviously going after a shipwreck, going after the gold is a big part of this show. And one of the ways that JJ tries to get John B to go after whatever's hidden in, in the shipwreck that they find is you don't see rich kids going into foster care, do you? Like basically, like we can buy and like that kind of becomes a thing throughout the show is like we can buy you like your freedom, John B. The storm recovery remains a thing throughout the first few episodes where like they go to a hotel to like use their electricity because only rich people have electricity right now as they say like because they have their backup generators going and like they say it doesn't even look like the storm hit there and that at the cut it's like the juice is going to be out all summer and they're like it's nice to be a kook so that really sets the stage for the show going forward and also you talked about their pogue mobile which i think is called the twinkie is what they call it I did notice they had an Eat the Rich sticker on <laughs> bumper sticker among their Oh, nice. Oh, my God. How did I not notice that? That's I, I didn't notice it till the second season. So I don't know if maybe that was the first shot where you could actually see it clear enough. Wow. 
and just re the hurricane like naomi klein disaster capitalism like that's what that is and like i remember after hurricane sandy coming to new york city and going to times square it it was like it never happened and then Mm -hmm. i went to coney island which was like a five-hour bus ride because i like wanted to see what was up and it was like brutal like people were still without power without plumbing it had been weeks and it's just like it's really gnarly i mean like we well, I'm like preaching to the choir on this, but it's cool <laughs> yeah. that, they, that they showed that in the TV show. Yeah, I always just love any scene where, and I think probably a couple of others that I noted throughout where like, it's very clear that like the people on the cut are like very connected as like a community in moments like cleaning up after the hurricane that you see that. So yeah, so now we're gonna switch over to watching some initial culture clashes that happen when Ryan Atwood arrives in Orange County, California in 2003 in Newport Beach, which is a real place, I believe. But we're, yeah, we're just gonna watch a few short clips from the first episode that variously show Ryan sort of being introduced to the world that is Orange County. So this is where you'll be staying, and this is the queen of the manor herself, my wife Kirsten. Hello, Ryan. Welcome to our home. If you need anything, Rosie here can help you. Thank you. Thanks very much. Uh, He's just like in a pool house, like what the fuck? (laughs) Can I say the blush they put on this child is very strong? (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god. Yeah, the infinity pool, like, ugh. It's an iconic set. Yeah, it really is. Wow, look at that. Fits you beautifully. Where's your tie? I'm not gonna wear one. Open collar. It's a good look. I didn't know how to tie a tie till I was 25. Come on, give me a tie. Button your top button. All right, collar up. Now, the skinny side has got to be shorter than the fat side. How much shorter? It changes tie to tie. Sometimes it's just a, a mystery. So you got to hang out with Seth. How was that, was it? Was that a, all right? He's an interesting kid if you get to know him. He's cool. Cool, huh? Turn around. Look at you. Huh? Beats a jumpsuit. Mushroom League Crescent. Crab and Brief Hilo. Welcome to the dark side. You must be the cousin from Boston, hmm? I don't know how you do it. I could just never live there. I hate the cold. <laughs> do you like Seattle? I mean, all that rain, isn't it depressing? Did I hear you were from Canada? Yes, you did. Hey, listen, can I, uh, can I get a 7 7? Sure. I want my husband to be right about you. All right, then just one more clip and then we'll talk about all of it. Excuse me. What? Who are you? Sorry, I'm just a little bit drunk. Come on. Seth, 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 Seth,
why don't you just go back to Chino? I'm sure there's a really nice car in the parking lot that you could steal. Chino? Ew. I feel like there we had a lot of different elements of what make the OC what they are. <laughs> so like there's a Mitchell culture clash of him like being a housekeeper, like making like his bed for him. He was just like, whoa, what? And then obviously I also thought that the iconic Sandy Cohen teaching him how to tie a tie scene, you know, like honestly plenty of i assume he's like 16 at the beginning of the show i think something like that most a lot of 16 year olds don't know how to tie a tie but especially not one that comes from the same kind of working class background as him and then just generally being thrust into the like rich fancy fundraiser life of newport beach and just welcoming him to the dark side and yeah i just feel like the pilot episode of the oc like sets up the divide between chino and newport but also that like, introduces you to the very real fact that there are a lot of like working class people in the town. And I feel like from Ryan's perspective, you notice like the housekeeper, you notice the waiter who greets him as soon as you walk into the party. Like he's just kind of like, I don't know, I feel like he very subtly, you can tell that he relates more to those people in that moment than he does the rich people. <laughs> yeah, his character definitely, th the way they set it up, it's like they were invisible characters, you know, they were like just moving parts until like his eyes are on them, you know? Yeah. All of the older women hitting on him really creeped me out. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if they would do that to a kid whose rich parents they knew. I don't know. It was just like, I mean, it was funny, obviously, but like it was also just like, it was gross to me a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it definitely had the vibe of, like, women who get very drunk at a function and then start being handsy with people. But I felt like they were trying to make that kind of commentary on, like, you know, the rich housewife who just, like, gets too drunk and, like, <laughs> is unpleasant, perhaps, to be around. Yeah, I don't know. I just, yeah, and I feel, I mean, like, I think if it was, like, a young girl, it would be, oh, like, yeah. less funny. But yeah, yeah, I don't know. It's just like, ugh. But yeah, that, oh my God. The Also, Rachel Bilson's outfit was crazy. Like She just wears fucking bikinis as her outfit so much in the first season. Especially. Do people do that in California? Like, am I just ignorant? <laughs> I feel like they were trying really hard to play up that they were in Orange County, California. You know, like, yeah, I feel like totally. they were just like, everyone's wearing bikinis on the beach. show as much skin as possible. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah, just like, yeah, watching Ryan go through the culture shock. I mean, I've never experienced anything like that, but I feel like I have found myself in situations where I was like, didn't didn't know how to act because the other people around me were were wealthier and like they they do things a little bit differently Ugh, it's just like yeah it's uncomfortable it is nice to like enjoy a night with rich people though oh yeah <laughs> totally free yeah. wine free bar free wine we have the underage drinking i was like wow yeah even though you know those rich kids are also doing lots of underage drinking in that episode alone it's just that they're yeah. better at not getting caught i guess in the environment they're in yeah maybe yeah yeah i don't know because i mean if i had tried something like that when i was 16 rich or poor i think it would have been like go fuck yourself oh <laughs> yeah. my god also can we just give a round of applause for sandy's eyebrows yeah oh, a whole lot of acting in this one uh, in every in every scene they're in every really. scene <laughs>
and then so like the last scene we watched with like all the classes douchebags finding out that he's from chino and like them actually having summer be like ew and everyone's just like openly mocking him for being from chino and i'm just like this is like wild but also this is very much what happens on all three of these shows <laughs> Yeah, totally. Yeah. And so then later in the, like, so obviously the first couple episodes of the OC, like, they're trying to decide if they're going to, like, have Ryan stay with them long term or not. And Sandy, in, in like, defense of, of keeping Ryan around, is like, I'd rather Seth hang out with Ryan than some trust fund kid. Like, there's a whole world out there. And that's sort of how you, like, introduce to the fact that, like, clearly Sandy is living in Newport because of Kirsten and hates all the rich people he lives around. And I feel like that's part of what connects him to Ryan, too. Oh, I did note that. So I had initially wanted to be like, oh, like, you guys should listen to the podcast that Melinda Clark and Rachel Bill are doing but like they literally had a rapist on on the episode they put on today oh so, no yeah the guy yeah, who plays the guy who plays trey logan marshall green was accused of marital rape like a month ago Whoa. by his ex-wife and they like had him on an episode and like trey literally like, tries to rape fucking marissa it's just like it's it's too ironic for words because the episode he's on they're all like oh here's some like statistics and like rain like in what well, maybe maybe this would feel a little more sincere if you hadn't had Logan yeah um, this? That's yeah crazy. so that was like really disappointing but like in that podcast episode Melinda Clark grew up in Orange County so like in a different episode that I had listened to before all of this shit happened she said that there was always a rivalry between the coastal rich kids and the inland poor kids and that the OC like portrayed that but yeah no I was really upset about that and so yeah no I was literally like okay well I guess I'm not gonna put their shit in the show notes anymore because it's really disappointing for me I mean it's nuts that they're being like soapboxy about rape with a guy who was a, who committed marital rape i mean let's be real because you really get nothing out of falsely accusing somebody of anything like i just don't really think it happens nearly as often as people think it does and you can see time and time again that people who accuse quote-unquote accuse high-profile men of like hurting them in any way just get completely fucked like yeah it's yeah, not, so it's not like, a good experience for them. No, no. So like, if if his if his ex wife is coming out and saying something like that, then pretty clear something really horrible happened. And just like the fact that they're having a podcast episode about like resources for for like survivors with this fucking guy. Ugh, oh, I know. It's it's like too ironic for words. I I definitely left a rude message on Rachel Bilson's Instagram from the Left Fifteen Drama account. So go give that a like if you want i guess she posted a picture with him well i okay if i'm being completely real they have this thing called speak pipe where you can leave a voicemail and they asked if people had questions for logan marshall green so i left one <laughs> i said like was it easy to get into the head of a rapist being that you yourself are a rapist and then i was like <laughs> and then i was like seriously though like rachel and melinda like i love your podcast but y'all really like should rethink this and clearly i was not listened to <laughs> wow but yeah, I was, like, I was like, how could I not? Like, they literally are asking if we have questions for him. I have one. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So other things that sort of, I feel like Newport Beach's class situation is sort of like slowly revealed and unraveled more and more as the show continues. So like eight episodes in, Ryan has the experience of staring at this insane private school campus, the Harbor School, and being like, this is school? 
like there's tennis courts and a swimming pool and they're like guessing you didn't have that at your old school and he's like we had a basketball hoop like he even has to prove himself to get into that school he has to take an aptitude test and like dr kim the headmaster is all like maybe he'd be better off at newport union which is the public school in the area and so then in the in the second season we're introduced to the bait shop which is like the the venue where they have concerts and both seth and marissa end up dating alex the girl who works as a manager of the bait shop and she is said to live in the numbered streets so like that's sort of the beginning of us starting to be introduced to the part of the newport beach area that isn't like these crazy houses with the infinity pools and then in season three we get the true true introduction of that when marissa is kicked out of the harbor school for shooting trey which you know after what i just said is maybe even extra cathartic and she has to go to newport union and so when they drop marissa off for her first day at like cast public high school they're all like orange county's answer to public education and they're like trying to cheer her up and she's like it's gonna be fine but like everyone's already staring because they're like dropping her off in like you know a fucking range rover or whatever and they're like is that her somebody's like check out newport barbie and she makes friends with some public school cool kids so then then we start to get introduced because of her friends, Johnny, Casey, and Chili. We get introduced to like the working class of the OC, and they're all surfers, which definitely feels very Outer Banksy to me. Like they feel like very similar vibes. And she calls surfing the Newport Union obsession. So like water polo was like the thing that they talk about all the time at the Harbor School. So it's almost like that's like the bougie water sport, and like surfing is like the working class water sport in Newport, according to the OC. The thing with Johnny is interesting for sure. I just wanted to mention it where like basically he gets injured, you know, surfing is his dream. He gets injured and like Marissa tries to use like her connections, like her Summer's dad being a doctor, for example, to get him surgery. And they eventually throw him a Chrismica bar mitzvah where they try to raise money for his surgery and his health care. And he is like really not into it. And Ryan's like, sometimes you got to let the rich people help you. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, Ryan, that's definitely the tagline for your life. <laughs> So that kind of introduces our three settings and our three like class wars that we're going to be watching and talking about. So I thought to start, we would, you know, the first heading I have is just this is class war. And I wanted to parallel two fights on the beach between, you know, two factions, starting with the iconic welcome to the OC bitch fight. Which I feel has to be at least somewhat of an influence on every beach fight that Outer Banks then has. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Go home. Who invited you, suck ass? Yeah, yeah, you have to. You guys really wouldn't hurt me because that'd be so cliche. Oh, I guess your friends are the cliche. Shut up. Hey, hey, put him down. Put him down. <sighs> put him down. Hey, what's up, dude? You got a problem? Tell me. <laughs> Welcome to the OC. 
see, bitch. This is how it's done in Orange County. Yeah. It's really, like, kind of gross how all Luke knows is that, you know, Marissa seems to like this dude, and he's from Chino. And I feel like he went off. He really doesn't like poor people. He's so cringe. He's like, <laughs> this is how we do it in the OC. Meh. Fuck you. Meh. Yeah. It looked like it was fun to shoot the fight, though. You could kind of tell that the actors were having fun. I don't know. Maybe I mean, maybe I'm projecting, but it looked it looked fun. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I mean, you know, wrestling on a beach at night, I guess. Fun times. Fights are really awkward, like even in real life, but just anywhere. Like it is weird that we do that. We're, you know what I mean? Like feel like people when they're trying to seem really tough when they're fighting, it's just always a little, a little embarrassing and weird. And I fight at least. Watching them fight was really silly to me. <laughs> Way less scary than the fight in the Outer Banks where they're literally trying to murder each other. Um, we're definitely watching a couple Outer Banks fights. I'm not sure if we're talking about the same one. Oh, I think that's the one from season one where John B almost gets drowned. Oh, great. That's what we're watching next. Okay, cool. <laughs> so we get the continuation of, this is still the first episode of Outer Banks, and that was the first episode of VOC, so good parallel. But they basically after finding the treasure shipwreck situation on the Outer Banks, decide to throw a kegger to be normal and then are able to use a typical Outer Banks kegger as a way to further introduce the class divide on the island, which then leads to an actual conflict. <laughs> All right, you can't understand the Outer Banks without understanding the Boneyard. It's kind of like a three-layer burrito. What's up, Bony? What's up, man? What's going on? There's us and our friends, the working-class derelicts from the cut. Yeah. Hey, hey. And then there are the kooks, the rich second homers. They're mostly from fast-ass boarding schools, just rich, justifying posers, or natural enemies. And then there are the Torons. Totally clueless here for a week on vacation with their families. Hey, you, uh, you want a beer? Come for the sharks. <laughs> <laughs> Virgos are like so organized. Like all my friends are Virgos. It's kind of weird when on TV we see people dying and they just kind of sit there, but in actuality they would be shading and parting for the storm. Did you Sarah, Sarah, be careful. What is she doing here? That's Sarah Cameron, Coop Princess. Yara's best friend in the ninth grade, worst enemy in the tenth grade. Work that's both, so you know, I've seen her around. <laughs> then that's Topper, her not so pleasant boyfriend. Topper actually thinks folks were bred to mow lawns. Yo, my boss, I got this one for you. You want this one? Yeah, I'll take it. Sir. Oh, wait, hey, hey, Sarah, Sarah, can I interest you in a tasty Milwaukee beverage? No, thanks. Oh, come on, is it not fancy enough for you? Yeah, hey, you know it. what? You know what? I'll take it.
between teen dramas in 2003 and 2020. <laughs> yeah, that was gritty as fuck. That was intense. <laughs> Big difference. Yeah. I'll say, though, like, these fight scenes, and especially, like, the consequences of the fighting, you know, it, it feels like it really... Both shows do a good job of, like, painting, like, the difference between, like, rich kids fighting and like poor kids fighting and the consequences couldn't be more different you know especially when it comes down to the scholarship later with pope and everything yeah yeah i mean throughout the season like i noticed when anybody would talk about that fight they would be like jj's so crazy he pulled out a gun like topper's crazy and i'm like topper down somebody like he also is like they i don't know i just felt like the one who started being murderous was indeed topper and not jj (laughs) and what a name wow good choice like terrible hate that guy name yeah totally absolutely yeah no that's always been a pet peeve of mine too they're just like oh my god jj was so crazy am i right and i'm like bitch he literally said he was gonna drown you like your father who we all know is was like died at sea like jesus fuck like (laughs) oh my god so mean i don't know well i love that class conflict you know i think i learned that class conflict is not what i think it is it's strapping young men erotically fighting on a beach Um, yeah yeah but oh my god yeah that just you know topper doesn't have anything go wrong for him for literally attempt attempted murder yep exactly you know and he and he totally uses like what jj does as like a way of like justifying his own like prejudices against the pogues as if he didn't have a very legit reason to bring out such force which is his friend being drowned by someone yeah jj saved john b's life also like the nerve to like go to the beach where the pogues hang out where they literally have bought a keg and are sharing it with people and then like be a dick to them oh my god i just can't the, it's so the true so true and yeah. he didn't even put money in for the keg no i i highly doubt it and yeah maybe jj shouldn't have shot into the air but also he needed to make sure that those rich assholes got off of his side of the island at that point so i don't know <laughs> self-defense also later in the season pope will beat up wraith in a 
bit of a parallel too where he says like stay off the cut so there's a lot of people beating each other up in a lot of directions but it's always like stay off the cut get off our side of the island stay off figure eight you know like well yeah if they're so rich they should throw their own party like yeah instead of showing up to the poke party and then being mean i mean you can show up and be nice but they're showing up and being rude which is crazy i mean yeah they're just they they're walking around like they own the place and they don't always own the place i don't know (sighs) and i feel kind of bad for topper's girlfriend too Oh yeah, Sarah. This is the beginning of you know they gave they gave John B some long looks at Sarah to to oh, yeah. the beginning of that. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> she's like very interesting in that because she's like stop it, Topper, but then she's also like Key, get your psycho friend to put the gun down, and I'm like, girl, take a look at what your boyfriend's doing. <laughs> Drowning someone is a really like intimate way to kill somebody, you know. It really is. <laughs> and like shooting isn't. <laughs> I just think the more crazy person here is definitely Topper. Just, just a reminder to the listeners at home: um, we we think all ways of killing people are are bad, horrible, horrible, <laughs> intense, and uh, quite personal. So just putting that out there as well. Yeah, sorry, that's just my opinion, and it does not reflect <laughs> the views of the leftist teen drama podcast. Yeah, so that was like my part one of This Is Class War. Part two involves a gun coming out again. So in the fifth episode of The O.C., we finally get to hear from the working class of Newport for the first time and not just see them standing in the background. When Ryan gets a job at one of the local watering holes up by the pier and meets Donnie who is from Corona, which is a town near Chino. So basically, we are introduced to Donnie's perspective on on Luke, which is that he's also that he's a fucking asshole, and then he's an asshole to service workers, and then see where that resentment ends up. This is garbage. It belongs in the garbage. This belongs over here. And uh, now for the advanced class. Hello, Mrs. Palmer. How are you today? You a glass of Merlot? Mm-hmm. Right up. Drunk. Been working it long? Oh, man. Everybody comes in here. It's a freak show. They like their $30 entrees on plastic plates, $60 bottles of wine, and plastic cups. Service with a big smile. Welcome to Newport, where things only appear to be casual. Come on. Of course, living here so does have its upside. Hey. Hey, what a coincidence. You invited him? Got me. See ya. Wait, Summer. Hey, man. Hey, babe. Hey. I seriously hate that kid. He walks in here like he owns the place. Let me tell you something. Bitch, water polo playing bitch win last two minutes in Corona. You going Corona? Yeah, man. Chino. It's a long way from home. This is no joke, man. Let's do something. Yeah, so these Newport kids must make you sick too, then. Sounds like you're a fan. You know, I like the surf. I like the tips. Love the girls. Plus, I like this, man. There's some, some real people around here. Yeah? I'll tell you what. After work, I'll show you what I'm talking about. Cool. Cool. Relax. What's up, bro? You want a drink, man? No, no, no. You sure? Yeah. You want it's, it's vodka. Very good. I'll do this. What's up? That sounded expensive. Come on. That's my blender. Yo, check it out. It's Abercrombie. Or are you uh, 
bitch. Jackass. What's your problem? You. Shut up, Cohen. How'd you get in here anyway? Look, I, I don't know who you are. You best be leaving. For what? Hmm? What you gonna do, man? Okay. What? You afraid I'm gonna mess up your hair? Hi. Hey, Donnie. Hey, what's up, Ryan? Uh, should have figured this chunk was a Why don't you stay back at the trailer park? We should go. What'd you say to me? All right. Let's go. Hey. Hey. You hate this kid, Ryan. Where he talks to you like you're trash. What about you, Seth? Yeah, he's definitely flawed. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. Oh, look at the role reversal now, huh? Who's the bitch, huh? Yeah. Scared him. Put it down. <laughs> Time. You know what I'm saying? I'm trying to have fun at this party. Yo, you boys having fun? Yeah. <laughs> Ryan kind of fucks that one up. I gotta say. <laughs> Boy, we gotta go. Yeah. Let's go. Okay, yeah. So that instance led to an actual gunshot wound, unfortunately. Not how you de-escalate. Not no. how you do it. This show never gets that right, let's be clear. I don't think that gunshot was ambulance-worthy. I think it was fast car ride-worthy. I don't know, though. Oh, my God. That was so sad. Which part? You know, just like that guy feeling like shit and being drunk and then he pulls out a gun and it's oh, just yeah. like, you know, yeah. I think that like not only is it like one of the scarier things you could do, but it makes it just kind of ruins the night for everyone. Oh, yeah, <laughs> totally. <laughs> totally. Um, they really bring down the mood. Yeah, they just really kill the vibe. Really kill the vibe. But as a former waitress, I have eaten people's uneaten food that they left behind that was really expensive and fancy. And yeah, it was gross, but I would do it again because <laughs> you have to eat a lot of scallops that way. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think that there's just clearly a lot of resentment and i think that luke got a really intense lesson in treating your service workers with care dignity and respect so you don't get shot <laughs> you heard it here first kid i don't think he learned his lesson he does get nicer later in the show <laughs> i feel luke does by the end of the time he leaves because he does exit toward the end of season one because his dad turns out to be gay and like then when he's outed everyone like you know because it's a homophobic early 2000s everyone bullies luke and so then he has to like learn what it's like to be you know not a bully but like a bullied person and <laughs> <laughs> And he becomes a better Whoa. person. So he does have somewhat of an arc, but wait till homophobia helped his character arc. Okay, anyway. Isn't that the kind yeah. of thing they would write in their in 2003? Correct. <laughs> I, well, you know. I love how the guy with the gun is like, look at how our power balance has changed. <laughs> Like, yeah, it has. It definitely um, has. Yeah, because you're trading the, you know, material violence, to, I guess, I don't know, like economic violence to like physical violence. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Yeah. Honestly, oh my God. it would have been really fun if he had just started like spouting off, like, you know, some theory, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, you can't exist without me. You can't be better than me without me. So maybe show a little respect. <laughs>
I don't know. But yeah, so that what I also think is funny that I didn't have a swatch is that in between them all crashing the Newport party and like before that, Ryan tags along with Donnie and Seth to a Long Beach party and their Range Rover is completely demoed at it. <laughs> I don't know if you guys remember that. And they like lie and oh. say they went to the IMAX theater. And then the parents are the Coens are like, this happened in the parking lot of the IMAX theater. <laughs> and it like 100% did not. But yeah, just forever shows, especially that Seth being a rich kid is completely out of his element and in these situations. And Ryan kind of has to like babysit him to make sure that he gets out of these situations well. And so then also when Ryan finally does go to private school and he keeps on getting into fights, Sandy says, you're angry. I get it. Every day at that school, you're going to run into spoiled little rich kids whose ass you're going to want to kick. <laughs> and I'm kind of like speaking from experience, Sandy. <laughs> I mean, every day in the world, I feel that way. So there's a really fun plotline in Veronica Mars that I thought we would watch a couple clips from, which is when there is class warfare in the student council election. <gasps> so, <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> so what we basically find out is that the narc ass cheerleaders, by the way, are mad because Ooh. Wanda Varner, who's one of the poor kids, isn't supposed to be allowed to have food delivered during lunch because she doesn't have these pirate points, which are only earned earned by being a contributing member of the school and you later learn that like it's very elitist which school activities are counted points and so basically Wanda after this experience decides to run for student council election and it's early in the show it's only six episodes in and I think it really like shows the point that Veronica Mars tries to drive home again and again which is that the majority at Neptune High are the, actually the poor kids even though like the way that they're treated doesn't reflect that you know, minority rule, something that we have in this country, unfortunately. It's like the Babysitter's Club episode that you did. Oh, yeah. No, it's so true. It's very similar to that one. Yeah, if there being these, like, made-up caste systems within schools and, like, camps and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I think I went off about, well, my summer camp changed it. So now everybody gets the yes. same amount of money. Yeah, which I thought was really nice. They used to, they used to you know, let, let your parents give you money for snacks, but then they decided to just give everybody the same amount, which I thought was really cool. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think that's better. Oh, man, over here. You're not allowed to liberate, and you're not allowed to breathe my air. Go, shoot, return to Xanadu. Wanda Varner just had her food delivered, and that's wrong. How? She doesn't have any pirate points? Oh, I see. You're new. Pirate points are earned by being a contributing member of the school. You get them for being in student council, for sports. Truly, is a sport. Oh, Mr. Clements. Mr. Clements, Wanda Barnard ordered in Chinese food. Uh, Wanda, I know you know the rules. If you'd like the privilege of having your lunch delivered, then why don't you get more involved here, Neptune? In the meantime, I'm going to have to confiscate your food. Food. <laughs> so kind as to follow me to my office. That is Wanda Varner. We used to be in pep squad together. You two seem less peppy. 
Veronica, I was thinking maybe you'd be interested in covering the election for the student newspaper. Sure, I'll write it up this afternoon. The election's tomorrow. And I can already see the headline. Brown-nosing resume packer wins in a landslide. Maybe you want to dig a little bit deeper. I'll take it. I'm Wanda Varner, and I'm running for the office of student council president. Let's be honest, student government doesn't jack. I'm here to promise you real change. If elected, I promise to abolish the unfair and elitist pirate points program for good. God bless you, and God bless America. Oh, yeah. <laughs> hey, dude, can she do that? Student council give it. Student council take it away. We're not giving up those points, man. You gotta run. Actually, I don't. Check it out. Killer. Thanks. <laughs> One of your campaign staff? I'm all about grassroots. How do you account for your sudden popularity? Isn't it obvious? It's class warfare, the haves versus the have-nots. You, more than anyone else, should understand that. But it's more quotable if you say it out loud. Okay. The rich kids, they run things around here. They're the minority, and they're corrupt. They get away with murder. Hey, give them hell, Wanda. You give them hell, Rodney. Pirate points is just another way they reward themselves for being so swell. They have all the power. We're the disenfranchised, but only because we let ourselves be. It's time to take action. <laughs> How was that? Was I quotable? Yeah, I think I can find something there. <laughs> so that's Wanda Varner's campaign for class president, which is pretty, pretty badass, pretty militant. She's like, this is class warfare. <laughs> Hell yeah, I love her t-shirt that just says sex and drugs on it. <laughs> that was cool. Got my vote. Yeah, got my vote too. Yeah, I feel like the way the cheerleader was talking about the pirate points like reminded me of how like rich right-wingers talk about like their tax money or like their money in general. Like I earned this as mm. if they did it all alone without like, like I feel like you nobody ever accomplishes anything alone or like, you know what I mean? Like there's, you, you wouldn't be making that money if there weren't other people doing stuff for you and then you were exploiting their surplus labor you know <laughs> yep. yeah <laughs> and then what basically happens is that everyone's like so excited about wanda and they're like wanda's gonna blow everyone out of the water you can kiss your precious powerpoints goodbye they're like sneering at the rich kids and then logan just like puts on a campaign video for duncan without, without even like telling him and they vote and Duncan wins, which is insane because everyone boos. The majority wanted Wanda. And Wallace is like, there's no way he could have carried half the student body. And so Veronica is like, well, now I've got a story because she's covering the election. And she finds out that the ballot instructions were different in different classes, meaning that like B meant someone different. And the classes filled with 09er kids got the candidate names correct. But the classes that Wanda would have carried, and I thought this was fun, band, auto shop, and art, got a list of candidates if the names reversed. And so they were voting for Duncan when they thought they were voting for Wanda. So then they do a runoff election, and somehow Duncan still wins, which I'm like, Wanda like does something that like makes us not like her. I like I, I don't have very good notes about it, but it's something that would wreck Veronica's future for her own. And so Veronica actually votes for Duncan. 
and Duncan decides that he will expand how many different activities should qualify for pirate points. So that's him being like the nice little rich boy. He's like, even students who excel in vocational trades should qualify for points. So one small step forward, but unfortunately, it seems like one of those situations where like, you know, like some of the people, for example, that like Bernie Sanders chose to hire, like being absolute shit shows now, like I feel like Wanda Varner falls into that category, you know? Mm. <laughs> I was deeply reminded of Bernie Sanders when I was watching Wanda Varner's commercial <laughs> her campaign ad. I was like, oh, I, I've had this feeling before. Yeah. yeah I herself of maybe some of the wrong people and it didn't work out well for her bummer <laughs> it's almost like electoral politics isn't the only tactic we should be why do we want slow reform when do we want it eventually <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh Classic man occupied chant. yes oh, okay so there was another moment that's like a fun moment in Veronica Mars when second season where the rich kids and the poor kids want to go to different places for their senior class trip and because the money goes missing and only some of it is recovered they get to mock the rich kids because they no longer have enough money to go to Catalina which is where the rich kids want to go and instead have to go to Magic Mountain like it's so funny like that Madison the like I think it might be the same girl as the cheerleader narc was I can't I can't keep the the O-Niner girl straight but she looks horrified when she's told her to have enough money for Magic Mountain. It's great. Very satisfying. Okay, a little off topic, but isn't Paris Hilton in a couple episodes? Yes, at the beginning. And she's one of the, like, rich O-Niner girls, as you would expect her to be. I think she's, like, briefly dates Logan or something. Yes, she, like, yeah. cheats on her... She, she cheats on her boyfriend, who I think is Logan, and she, like, cheats on it with... Oh, my God. Yeah. yeah. She was also in the OC for an episode, but as herself. Remember that she made a cameo? Vaguely, yeah. And, yeah, and, like... She says that the cell phone camera is like the autograph of the 21st century, which is like, you know, means so much more than she ever could have known at the time. Yeah. <laughs> and so another class conflict, class war moment I wanted to discuss but not watch in Outer Banks is when... Hope and JJ sink Topper's boat. So in the third episode, Wraith and Topper are on the golf course being rich douchebags, as you do. And they spot Hope carrying some beers and using what is clearly a popular shortcut through the golf course in order to do so. And they're like, he's not a member. And they're like, oh, because JJ put a gun to Topper's head, like as if he wasn't drowning John B. Like, we're gonna get back at him. And they like break all the beers and they hit him and shit. And he's like, hey, you owe me for that. And they're like, I don't owe you shit, Pogue. And like, personally not lost on me that they waited until the one black guy in the group was alone. And then like went at him for what is actually, if you want to look at it that way, JJ's crime. And so like, he kind of falls to the ground and they punch him and hit him with a golf club and everything like it's awful and they're like stay off figure eight pogue which feels like another welcome to the oc bitch moment and then later when jj comes by pope is all sad and he's like what happened and he's like race and topper jumped me they said no pogues on their side of the island and so JJ's like, what are you going to do? And he's like, this is war, Pope. And they're like looking at this like wake setter that's like super expensive that belongs to Topper. And he's like, they hit us, we hit them. And they cover their faces with masks and sunglasses. And then Pope swims out to the boat and he sinks it. So then the next episode is like dealing with the fact that like they know who did it. 
and they try to escape Wraith and Topper, but Topper find them and they end up in another fight, this time two on two. And he ends up setting fire to the screen of the, of the movie that they're at in order to force them off of him. And so, like, this is just an ongoing thing. In the second season, there's a round three between Wraith and Pope, and Wraith actually says, okay, round three, bitch. Like, <laughs> literally, like, it's it's ridiculous. And at one point, in the at, toward the end of the first season, when John B. is a fugitive for being falsely accused of murder, again, very Archie Andrews of him, the rich kids, Wraith and Kels, are, like, talking about protecting their homeland and shit. It's, like, very, like, gross. And Topper at one point says, I warned you about these pogues, didn't I? Like, and that's kind of like the kind of shit that he says all the time. And then later, Rafe lights the church where John B. and Sarah are hiding on fire, saying, hey, this is war. So the amount of times that I just wrote in my notes, class war, because literal characters said war. <laughs> Lots of fire, too. Wow. Yeah. Really Outer back is wild. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the more recent teen dramas are, like, so gritty, it's almost funny how dark they... I mean, the OC got really, really dark a couple times, too. Yeah, but... like, I think the OC always had humor baked into the show in a way that it is not baked into a show like Outer Banks. Yeah, I feel like yeah. Veronica Mars had funnier, like, a funnier yeah. vibe to it, too. I was just noticing the voiceover in Veronica Mars and the Outer Banks and, like... yeah how silly it feels but also like how teeny like teen drama -y it is and i took like totally. one screenwriting class in college and the teacher was <laughs> like fuck voiceovers if any of you write something with a voiceover like you're done hi Vinny. hello then season two there's a bonfire and apparently that's an outer banks tradition and so there's another kook versus poke fight it's like once they've become friends of sarah and so like someone literally says to kiara like whose side are you on when she says that sarah is her friend it's just a lot more of the same stuff like get out of here poe go back to the cut and all of that and so I just also had a section where I just wanted to note like different times that the way rich people talk about bored people in all three scenarios. It's just like really gross. And so like at the beginning of the OC, Julie is like, are you holding up okay? Like about Ryan when he has been arrested after he burns down the model home. Again, more fire. <laughs> and she's like, that poor boy, he's locked up, yes? Well, nobody blames you for bringing him into the community. You're so trusting. Like, just, like, so gross. When, like, at the end of the day, Julie is from Riverside, which Sandy makes sure to remind her later when she's talking shit in public. And she eventually ends up back in the trailer park at a certain point in the OC, which her very classist child, Caitlin, says gross things about. <laughs> And so people also just call Ryan Chino, like, a lot. Like, even once him and Luke are friends, like, he still calls him Chino. So it's clearly, like, the first thing that people think of when they think of him. They're like, he's the poor kid, you know? And they occasionally introduce other poor kids. So, like, Lindsay is one of the poor kids who's introduced. And when she arrives at school in a clunky car, she's literally like, I'm new here. Is it all right to park here? And someone responds, sure, if you're not embarrassed. And I'm like... Damn, you just said that to someone's face. Outer Banks. Yeah, they really do. And then in Outer Banks, like, we just have a lot of, like, the rich kids being like, they, like, you know how these pogues are. And, like, you hang out with trash, you get dirty. Like, just awful shit. 
And in Veronica Mars, there's also a lot of that as well. A lot of it is like, some of it is like so bad that I wouldn't say it out loud because like early 2000s, you know, but like Logan calls Weevil the pool boy once when they're like playing poker together. And he says like, we don't take food stamps when when he's owed money. And at one point, Veronica is called Miss White Trash when her car breaks down in the student parking lot. So there's a lot of nonsense and it just really shows how the class divide is kept up by the fact that they're like constantly looking at each other in like de- in talking about each other in dehumanizing ways. And so, yeah, we were going to talk about that. It's well, maybe one of the most fun parts is the fact that the exception to the rule is when the inevitable star-crossed romance occurs. So like in the case of the OC, we have Ryan and Marissa. And there's so many different points where they're like, we're from different worlds. Like at one point that, that big bad Oliver is like, you're from different worlds. You're not supposed to be together and it's kind of like marissa's thing i think to date people who are like lower class than her because i was like going through her relationships and it's like alex is an emancipated like lady who has a working class job and not like any money then she hooks up with and briefly dates dj aka the yard guy they have a whole thing where he like literally calls out the fact that she like hides him from her friends and then she dates volchuk who ultimately leads to her demise and he's also like a, another one of the public school kids. And after he cheats on her at prom, he's like, did you think you were going to dress up your bad boy, take him to your rich people party and show them how cool you are? Like, very so, on the nose. Yeah, she had a lot of interesting romances. After Luke, all of her significant others, though, were like of lower class status than her. So I thought that was an interesting. But uh, were they pattern. the hottest people around? She the does. question must be asked. She does seem to have the have a thing for hot working class people. <laughs> Maybe got like Olivia Wilde in there, like. <laughs> Woo, she's yeah. so beautiful. Yeah. Woo-hoo. And then in Veronica Mars, we have like both Logan and Veronica and Duncan and Veronica. Veronica like pretty much only dates rich guys. And this becomes a problem for her with the community sometimes where people like don't believe where her loyalties lie because she's very much like playing a role that the police can't always fill as we know and so i think that she has value to her working class community in that way and so like they want to believe that her and her dad are like on their side and the first veronica and logan kiss happens in an episode called weapons of class destruction so i thought that was a fun one and then john b and sarah on outer banks 100 percent is like one of the most like like star-crossed romances on the show even in the first episode she's like can we drop the whole pokes versus kooks thing like before they're even like really romantically involved and then i also wanted to give a shout out to kiara as the original kook turned pogue and like as we were saying she's such a like social justice warrior like she's like i look like a bourgeoisie pig before the like midsummer's party she has to go to and her mom's like will you please not worry about socioeconomic injustice for one night and she literally points out people not even three miles from here have no power no running water and we're going midsummer so that's so tone deaf so she you know there's not much she can do as a kid but she i feel like she gives her perspective when she can to her parents and she gets into a whole thing with them where they end up kicking her out of the house in the second season because she says that she hates coming back there and her mom's like i'll show you what being a pogue is really like like you're kicked out you know so she definitely has an interesting time straddling both worlds and then i think that just especially both in outer banks and in veronica mars where the divide is so clear it's like 
in Veronica Mars, it's like the PCHers versus the O-Niners. And it's the Kooks versus the Pogues, obviously, as we were saying in Outer Banks, where rich kids get away with whatever they want and the working class never does. And resentment just builds up as I notice the double standard over and over again. So like the big case that's the center of the first season with Lily Kane having been murdered like Weevil points out in the 12th episode of the first season to the guidance counselor that another little girl went missing in his neighborhood on the same day as Lily Kane was killed and they found her body three months later, but there were no cameras, no grief counseling, like nobody cares. That's just like one in a long string of that being true. I feel like season two is like largely about how the entire community thinks that Logan killed a PCHer, which like he didn't do canonically, but like they think that and the idea that another rich kid got away with murder, like completely sets the tone of the entire season. And it's like everybody is on one side or the other. And like basically the same thing happens in Outer Banks when John B is falsely accused of murdering someone you know, kind of the opposite when a rich kid actually did it and no one's believing the poor kids. Uh, and then they also, when they do eventually catch him, like mention the death penalty. So it's like very much like coming down hard on the working class and, you know, letting rich kids they can buy their way out of it. And then Outer Banks, they definitely mention the fact that the system is made to protect like rich people. And Kiara's like, oh, we have to see if my parents can pay for legal representation for John B. Like money is how the system works. And so like they very much like know and understand that. So the last two clips I wanted to watch to close it out are working class excellence. <laughs> so one of the scenes is iconic from the OC, and I'm sure that you will know it, which is the, you know what I like about rich kids, nothing punch. Yes! Oh, I was waiting for it. I was waiting for it. Oh my God. <laughs> Oh, man. Thank you, Maria. So good. Anytime. Anytime. Yeah, I wanted to have us go out on a high note on two different epic scenes that are clapbacks at the rich. Yeah. (laughs) What's it take to get a menu? Okay, I'll handle it. That's right. I'll handle it. And ruin your popularity. You know what? Why don't you guys just sneak out the back? What's going on with you two? How's it going? Oh, it was great. (laughs) Hey, front door. <laughs> hey guys, so I'm sure you Okay, thanks. Sounds good. Awesome. So, what do you guys do today? Hi. Hey guys, how you guys doing? You like the food here too? It's pretty awesome. Shut up, queer. What'd you say? Luke, come on. I just said you'd look nice in a sweater vest. It was a compliment. Do you want me to break you, Cohen? Hey. No way. Look who's back. I mean, you're a little far from eight mile. Luke, don't. What are you, like, spokesperson for Geeks of America or something? <laughs> you know what I like about rich kids? <laughs> no, Oh yeah. Oh my god. So fucking good. And like I just love how much they let like Seth be like Seth and just be like, that was awesome. (laughs) I mean, yeah. He no lies were said. Yeah. That was awesome. 
<laughs> so that's just an iconic moment in teen drama history that I felt we needed to watch. And yeah, so then the other moment of working class excellence that I wanted to watch is from the fifth episode of Outer Banks, which is the big midsummer's party that the kooks throw. And basically all of the Pogues are working this party, like Pope and his dad are working it. JJ is working it as like a cater waiter. And at a certain point, he ends up getting cornered by the kooks like Wraith and, and his whole gang of assholes. And he ends up giving this speech about Workers of the World Unite. And it's actually in our theme song. You might recognize it. It's a fun little moment of like teenage working class rebellion amongst this like super like rich person party. And yeah, I love it. Your face looks really bad. You sort of look like your dad a lot more. <laughs> oh, shit. All right. Hey, gentlemen. Is there a oh. problem here, guys? Pardon me, officer. No, there's not an issue. I just... Oh, actually, yes. No, there is an issue. Uh, we got a criminal trespass in progress here. Beep! Call it in, right? Blatant disrespect for private property. Yeah. I'm in violation of all kinds of shit, sir. <laughs> but these young gentlemen... That's my shit. Uh, caught me, sir, and they're about to take me away. And that's what you should do. Escort me out of here, and you got me. Come on. All right. Fix that tie, son. Uh, you looking spiffy, too. You Powerpuff Girls have fun. It's LKR. She looks pretty high for a poke. <laughs> Hey, hey, come here. Let's go. Ready? Let's go. Ready? Do you think I'm a creep, bro? Come on. Hey, safe travels back to the cut. Say no. Hey, hey, it was really nice seeing you again, JJ. Oh, fuck, man. I can walk myself. I got legs. Can you see that, brother? All right, I really appreciate what you did back there. Let me just walk out by myself. Oh, Mr. Doomlevy, I see you got your drink. Good. That's really nice of you. I'm actually going to down I really appreciate the discretion there. It's okay, everybody. Do not panic. Let's leave it to the men and women in uniform, huh? Let's hear it for them. Rose, look like Lady Liberty. Good to see you again. Oh, hey, buddy, can I have one of those? Let go of him. You can't just boot him. Excuse me, ma'am. I invited him here. I'm a member of this club. Rickson's key. Hope oh, you as well, right? Rickson's coat. Let's roll. Workers of the world, you're not dropping, Jane. Come on. 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 Come Oh yeah, Sarah's like, I want to be a poke, and then she, yeah, and she fucks her way into the into the crew. <laughs> oh yeah, good job, Sarah. But yeah, I just like I love that moment. I love the general class consciousness of the the crew. You know, like they are very much like we are the working class. Like, <laughs> oh yeah, the country club of it all is so crazy. Like, uh, Nikki, are you from the south? No, just like when so like growing up here, I didn't really know about this country club thing that people do in the South where like everybody is like, well, not everybody, but a lot of like more wealthy people are like, quote unquote, like members of the club. And it's like, Mm -hmm. yeah so weird i mean like there's definitely other like weird ways people signal their richness up north but i thought the country club thing was just like weird i don't know i've like never seen it not on tv 
yeah no it's it's definitely real i'm like i think kiara realizes like she like she's like i am a member i'm gonna use my membership <laughs> like and it's like girl there's no way that like this is gonna help in this moment <laughs> like he is shoving people he has drank someone's drunk <laughs> yeah yeah was it like in each of the shows like people have moments where they're like trying to be like philanthropists or something and like bring people up with them and then they like learn the hard lesson that the the fact that there is like something like like a country club and like people who aren't allowed in it mm. or you know like a divide is like actually inherently unjust and then like they either like get jaded or they like do what Kiara does and like reject the structure as a whole which I was really sweet I, I'm really glad that Kiara runs away from her family and goes to hang out with her her crazy friend JJ yeah by the way i'm a big jj and kiara shipper i'm really hoping something happens with them in season three just ever since john b and kiara kissed and then afterwards kiara was like did you tell jj i've been like eyes emoji <gasps> yeah <laughs> Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'm just, I, I, there have been some leaks that have me very excited for season three. Just yeah. want to shout out, shout out my Giara folks out there. And then, so yeah, so then to conclude, to really, for real, for real conclude, I have a couple of cute quotes from Veronica and Ryan, our two working class heroes of the early 2000s. So in the last episode of the season three, so like the last episode of like the original seasons, somebody says, you're going to make a lot of powerful men very unhappy. And she says, wouldn't be the first time. So I thought that was a great Veronica Mars line to close us out with. Yeah, she's definitely taking on power powerful interests the entire time and it's pretty cool and then ryan is just adorable and there's a moment in season three where he says you can thank my blue collar dna when somebody says they can respect a man who can use power tools and he makes a union joke at some point in season three as well he says i took a coffee break union rules so (laughs) hey yeah very good and then i just wanted to shout out the way that his arc ends at the end of the whole series full circle moment where he like ends up an architect like he always wanted and he ends up asking a kid if he needs any help like at the very end and it's like how sandy helped him you know it's just so beautiful i just i love how in a show that ended up being so much about affluence and almost like more like felt at times like a celebration of it like also was like pretty self-aware of it at the same time and definitely through ryan ended up telling a really beautiful story about an outsider coming into one of these communities and then for outer banks we don't know what's gonna happen next you know season two ended with okay unfortunately you're gonna get a spoiler here (laughs) all my attempts to not give you one here we are all Um, good all good i like spoilers it makes me feel control over the narrative okay i feel you that's real okay so the pogues are all on a deserted island where we leave them at the end of season two and they they, okay that's like something the shark no they claim the poglandia welcome back to the pogue life our various quotes from the last few minutes of the most recent episode we have seen i have no idea where they're gonna go from there they go back to the land (laughs) i know they're gonna eventually go back to the land i'm just very curious about how they get there yeah 
and i really want rafe to get what's coming to him i just want to say that like that man is a menace (laughs) and yeah i just i hope that they continue to have the kids be really class conscious in season three because it warms my heart and I always love to see more of the like neighborhood. Like one thing that I think I forgot to mention is that when like John B is vindicated after he's been a fugitive, he like sees there are like signs around his neighborhood that are like free John B. Like somebody wrote it on like a stop sign or something. And so like, I just feel like they have that like community. And I always love whenever they show that. And so my my hopes for season three is that they end up back in Outer Banks and we get to see more of that. Um, but yeah, do y'all have any final thoughts on any of these shows? I just think it's so great that shows tackle this shit as always. I mean, that's what the podcast is about. <laughs> Yeah, and I think that, like, you know, in in some other countries, like, I've noticed in, like, England, like, class stuff is really front and center, but, like, it doesn't happen, like, I feel like in our day-to-day lives, like, people don't really talk about it that much, and, like, if you ask somebody what their background is, like, economically, they'll normally say something, like, middle class, you know, when, like, that is super vague, and, like, you could be, like, kind of wealthy and think you're middle class, or, like, pretty poor and think you're middle class, and I think it's cool to have these shows where they talk about it, especially having JJ shout workers of the world unite, that's, wow. (laughs) Coding <laughs> Karl Marx at the Midsummer Party. Beautiful. <laughs> but yeah, it's great. These shows are great. And I don't know if we will live to see it, but I would love to live in a world without class. That would be great. And a yeah. lot of other horrible social constructs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. So on that note, Workers of the World Unite, right? <laughs> Hell yeah. Thank you for showing that clip again of ryan connecting with that rich kid's face because it gives me so much life and i think i'm gonna keep it in my little toolbox to come back to when i need a little pep so it's almost like that clip when richard spencer was punched in the face and people would just play it over and over yes that was me <laughs> oh yeah the, there were so many fun remixes oh, yes man. yes the remixes oh my god what a moment in time <laughs> well we're all gonna you know it's it's the summer this is gonna be coming out on july 3rd so like enjoy your pogue life this summer you know live like a pogue would you know maybe don't get in as much violence maybe try to keep the violence a little more to a minimum but like in the spirit of like direct action like maybe if we like every time that they do a violence do a direct action instead yeah <laughs> and then every other time drink beer on the beach or yeah that's boat. fine you can smoke weed too they smoke a lot of weed do that yeah. fine <laughs> but <laughs> maybe don't do as much of the fire setting and the shooting into the sky <laughs> Thinking boats, none of it. Yeah. 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 Thank you both so much for coming on this season. I hope to have you back in the future episodes. And I look forward to more episodes and more political teen drama content. Thanks again to the listeners, those at the top of the episode, for sticking with us for 10 episodes this season. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I love doing this. Yeah. The best. My two loves yes. TV and the last. Yes. Exactly. Thanks for listening to Leftist Teen Drama. Follow us on social media for updates. Links to our Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, and TikTok are in the show notes. 
along with links to suggested additional reading on the topics discussed. Solidarity Forever, Free Palestine, and Abolish the PIC. Signing off, Maria.